Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. We're back with our investing series this week with the indomitable Glenn James, author, MC, recently I saw, and Australia's fave host of My Millennial Money. And honestly, I've been following your boating adventures on Instagram, Glenn, obsessed. So you're becoming a captain. Is that the next frontier? Pretty much, yeah. I'm over over money and podcasting, so I'm changing careers. I mean, it wasn't enough to be at the pinnacle of both of those things. (laughs) No, I need a new challenge. Need a new challenge. Okay, I've never asked you this before, but I want to know what was your first investing memory? It was a single stock back oh, when I, oh, I don't even remember. The company's probably not around. I actually talked about it in my book as a foundation of what not to do. It was something like in a single stock with an Australian company on the ASX, they were in like ag medicine. And they were doing like, Ag- like agriculture, like yeah. So they were doing medicine. like vaccines oh, wow, for okay. pigs or something like that. And this is a very niche company. How did you find well, out about? It? Do you remember how you found I out think about it? Just from word of mouth, someone that I knew that were talking about is like, oh, this hot tip, and you know they're just waiting on the government approvals for the vaccine, yeah. and when they get that, it will change the the piggy industry for good. Anyway, I basically sharing my book that it's a, I did an autopsy of that investment and how I broke every single investing rule <laughs> and I lost about 40% of my money. So, welcome to investing. Oh. Ta-da. The fantastic part of that story though is a lot of people make that same investment, mm. lose all that money and never come back from it. And look at you. You're I'm back. An investing podcast host. Basically. See, this is the funny thing. Like, I don't want to be anyone's guru. I just want to facilitate a conversation because yeah. there's always people that I talk to that know more than me and that are smarter than me. It's like the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's like the more you know, the re- more you realize you don't know mm. as well. And you're an ex-financial advisor. So, like, you know a lot. Yeah, and I've forgotten a lot as well. So, that's why I'm just <laughs> facilitating conversation now because I'm just not in the trenches every day. So, And I think, you know, getting people over that first hump is really the biggest challenge. And I think you and a lot of the other media that talks about that particular hurdle have done a lot to get, I think we were at 9 million Australians in 2021 and we're now at like 12 million or something, the ASX recent report said. So, it's impressive. And like you have a big part to play in that, in doing exactly that, facilitating the conversation. Yeah, and it's just all about getting started. And it was fine that I put a couple of grand in. Because remember back a million years ago, because I'm a fossil now, certified fossil. (laughs) You're not that old. Basically, but like- you would really only invest with a parcel of $2,000 and you'd Minimum, set up yeah, your you'd set up your brokerage account, throw two grand in. And when I'm 18 year old doing an apprenticeship, two grand was a lot mm. of money for me. It's a lot of money for yeah. people now. And had to throw that two grand into this one single stock. I mean, talk about the rules that I've broken, I broke and I've learned from. Like we're talking single stock risk. We're talking regional risk, so Australian only. We're talking industry-specific risk. We're talking legislative risk, so we're waiting for the government's waiting for approval. approval. Yeah. Like, there are so many risks that I learn from. Yeah. And I just don't make those wholesale mistakes again. Now, fast forward, 
if there is something that is speculative that I want to put my toe in the water, I'm not putting 100% of my savings into that investment. We're going to put a small portion. Yeah, the risks are the same, but the quantum for you is now completely different. Like, yeah, and it's not 100% anymore. Well, it's that's like right. Less than one. Probably. Well, and that's, yeah. you know, back then I had $2,000 saved. I put 100% of my savings or 100% of my invested portfolio in single stock, you know, Australia based, all this stuff. And there was even like you drill down when you look at those small micro, micro caps, like you look at e-person risk of the board of directors, the yeah. risks just go on. And then you go fast forward to liquidity risk. Like it's okay to take risks. Absolutely. You've got to take risks, whether it's your life, your career, Absolutely. your money, your yeah. relationships, all that stuff. But I think it's tempering those risks. So, if they don't come off, you don't get completely flushed. So, you learned a lot from that, but I want to talk about like where you're at now. So, and you talked about this in the, your book, but for anyone who hasn't picked it up, what is your investing philosophy? Why is it so important to you to facilitate this conversation and get young Australians passionate and interested and doing something about their money? Yeah. So, my investing philosophy, well, it, it probably stepped back first to like what my money management philosophy is, my philosophy on money. Because if you don't get your bedrock nailed with your philosophy on money, forget your investing philosophy because you need to get your day-to-day money philosophy nailed, right? So, my basic philosophy is on balance, I live on less than I earn. That's number one. But I break it down into three things. All I do is give some, save some, spend some. The save some part is that investing, saving for the future. So, that's all I do. I live on less than I earn. I don't have any consumer debt. Don't love debt. Sure, I've got mortgages, whatever. But give some, save some, spend some in that order. Mm. You're the first person, actually, remember when I read My Millennial Money, Mm. the first person who had talked about giving, and I had actually only heard that. I mean, that's, like, quite common. I have friends who are Christians, so, like, tithe is, like, a big part of the community, and it's certainly a big part of other religions as well. But you were the first person who talked about it in a personal finance context, Mm. and I thought it was such a important part. It was like such a communitarian approach to why this is important. Like you were talking about your nieces and nephews and like investing for them and setting them up for the future. And I just was like, that's why we do this. We don't do this to die with like $10 million. We do this so that hopefully our children and their children and even just our extended family can be better Mm. off. And I thought that was a really a unique approach, but something we should talk about more, I think, when we talk about why we're doing this. Like- It's not just for us. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Like, I think balance is really important. Or if you don't Mm. like the B word, there's another B word, blend. Like, it just can't be all or nothing. And if we look at the the three things that I've talked about, give some, save some, spend some. So, number one, if you're giving all your money away, you're not looking after future you. You're not looking after your needs today. If Mm. you're saving all of your money, Sure, you're amassing wealth for you, self-indulgent, me, me, me. I just can't. And, you know, cutting your nose off to spite your face, I'm saving so much that I can't enjoy the now. Another thing I always say is like, 
one eye on the future, one eye on today. Like you have to be living today. So if you're saving all your money, you're not being generous, it's all about me, 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 and you can't enjoy what you've got. But conversely, if you are spending all your money, it's also very self-indulgence because it's me, 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 I'm buying, I'm buying. It's all about living right now. Right now. And so, that's why in my life, I like to give some, save some, spend some. And Mm. a lot of people go, oh, I don't have money to give. I'm not saying, you know, everyone needs to give money. If you can't look after your own family, if you can't have your own bill sorted, now is not your time to give financially. But you can give a smile, you can give blood, you can send a nice message. I think it goes to that posture of I'm a giver, not a taker. You can invite someone over for dinner. You can live a generous life and not be physically giving money. Yeah. So, that's kind of my summary of how I view my financial bedrock. And then within that, okay, saving some for the future, all right. We can invest. And what's your approach to investing? My approach to investing is basically I invest in three things. Can you guess? Can I ask you questions? I know it's your podcast. Of course you can. (laughs) Of course you can. I think you follow the core satellite approach from memory. I want you to zoom out. You want me to zoom out? What do you invest in like at a macro, like thematically? Do you mean even like you focus on- No, I can't remember. Basically, the only way that's a proven track record realistically to make money is bricks Mm. and businesses. So, I invest in real property direct. Yeah. I also invest in businesses and that kind of is a two-pronged thing. I have my own business ventures and also uh, investing in equities. Mm. So, that's how I invest. I have real property, I have my own business, and I have equities. Okay. So, on the real property mm. side, predominantly residential or commercial? Uh, or resi, uh, but I've just mm-hmm. uh, recently purchased a commercial property. <gasps> wow, you're like a real property investor. Oh, my gosh. Big oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and then on the businesses, obviously, My Millennial mm. Money, like the media Yeah, Simo Interactive, company. yeah. 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 And all the ventures underneath that. Because there's been quite a few brands. And I think we talked about this recently when I saw you. You had actually crystallized on one of those investments. You sold one of the brands recently, one of the podcasts. Yes, I did. I can't remember which one. My millennial business business or career. No, no. Maybe we're getting confused. I... You know, I don't want to get into the weeds of things, but I did a review of everything I'm doing with the business. At the start of the year, I was like, I want to do less. I want to do it better. Yeah. And then looked at everything. What are we spending energy on that isn't having a significant return? And significant return isn't just financial, it's impact as well. And the business podcast and the health podcast wasn't having the return metrics that I needed, be it impact or financial return. So, I actually gave those podcasts away. Oh. Living the theory. Glenn. Yeah, well, and, really, and those yeah. hosts, they're rebranding those shows so they get the feed with all the listeners hanging off and they'll be launching yeah. them as their own brand. So, they've got a platform to launch off. Oh, yeah, Yeah. Uh, because like, interestingly enough, the My Millennial Career podcast and the My mm. Millennial Money Professional podcast 
for example, those podcasts in terms of impact, they don't heaps financially return much. However, there is a huge return on the impact side of the ledger. So, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to subsidize them with the main show. But there was some other stuff that I wasn't keen to subsidize. Yeah. And like streamlining, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it just gives you more time, more bandwidth. So, do you invest in any companies that are not listed, like angel investments or private equity? And that's also part of the overall investment bucket. Yeah. Cool. And like, and that's it. Like I've, um, you know, not wholesale huge amounts, but like Mm -hmm. on one of my podcasts recently, and I'll share it publicly because it's public on the record on that podcast, there was a startup called uh, Pleasant State. They do cleaning products Mm -hmm. and uh, it's female led. There's two ladies and I actually interviewed uh, Dune from Female Startup Club and she was telling me about this and I'm like, that's really cool and interesting. Yeah. So, I went in through the virtual, Bircher, I don't even know what it's called, Bircher? Yeah, Bircher. yeah, yeah, the um, crowdsourcing yeah, yeah. investment. And yeah. I just, I think I said I was going to do $2,000 on the podcast, mm-hmm. but I actually put 5000 in. So, mm-hmm. you know, $5,000 is a very superficial amount of money probably in my world, but yeah, it's just out of interest. Now, that is an unlisted venture, might not get anything back might get some money back, who knows. But, yeah, and that kind of keeps me interested and I don't own any investments in my own name. I do that through my discretionary trust. So, that is my primary wealth creation vehicle. The investments that are outside of super in my life are owned by the trust. Mm -hmm. Um, So, realistically, I've got the trust which has unlisted stuff or exciting keep Lenny interested stuff. And that kind of is always kind of happening in the background. It's got a platform that I do equity investing in. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. I've got my superannuation and then I've got an investment bond. So, nothing's direct in my own name. All within the trust, including the properties? Did you No, properties in my own name. A couple of reasons, like in terms of asset protection, if there's a bit of a mortgage on there, like- there's a bit of asset protection there and lending is just easier when it's non-commercial. Mm. And there's some other issues why you wouldn't want to own real property in a trust. And it's not necessarily not what a financial advisor would advise. Like the trust, that's a fairly like high net worth individual kind of approach, especially when you've got quite a number of assets as well and high personal income as well. That's kind of becoming increasingly common. But I'm really curious to know, mm-hmm. first investment was your 40% ag uh, piggy vaccine. Yes. I love that so much, Glenn. And what was your most recent? Was it the Pleasant State or was it your commercial property? Literally just this morning before this, I signed the contract via DocuSign on the commercial property. Oh, my God. Well, congratulations on the purchase. That's exciting. What kind of a commercial property is it? Is it like a warehouse? Yeah, basically. Yeah, cool. Because I, I, I'm recording this from home. I lo- like my whole team, there's eight of us. We yeah. all work remotely all around Australia, the world, whatever, like don't care. I hate working from home. Do you? Yeah. You like being around people? Is that it? Or just the change no, of scenery? No, I like to be able to say I'm leaving the house to go to work. Yeah. 
Okay. Then that's just a personality thing, right? Mm. Like, so I want to buy, well, I have bought that commercial property. I'll deck it out so it's a studio. I'll probably do a co-working space upstairs just because I've got a lot of friends who have businesses and, you know, yeah. they need to rent desks or whatever. So, it will be – and it's only 10 minutes down the road. Oh, my so. God, it's going to be an MM3 headquarters. Yeah, pretty much. <gasps> That's so exciting. Yeah. So, and it's studio. Like, I'll probably just do a soundproof room. Yeah. Like, it's not going to – I don't know. I, I did a bit of an investment into video stuff and then changed that strategy. So, I'll probably start doing a little bit more mm. – video stuff. But then again, every Wednesday, I automatically invest in ETFs. So, I've just got an automatic investing yeah. thing happening every Wednesday. Yeah. Why Wednesday? It's the middle of the week. Nice. <laughs> no real- No no magic to it? No. Yeah. Which is um, cool. So, obviously, you're a proponent of dollar cost averaging. You don't just like sit on a little pile of cash and then just make like a one-off every quarter or- Whatever. Oh, it, it varies. I mean, from a financial advisor background, I would only ever really use the DCA terms if people rocked up to the practice, had new money. And mm. for those who don't know, new money is money that isn't in the market. And it was just more of a psychological tool to get people invested. Well, we know the data says throw it in and get on with your life. Yeah. But just kind of the way I do it is I get paid like- through my trust, for example, so the trust mm. owns the royalties for the books and the audio books and yeah. all that, right? So, if I ever sold my business, no one's buying the royalties for my book. Like, the trust owns it and we can get into ways that I've structured that if you want, if it's interesting uh, for you. But so, the trust has some ad hoc income mm -hmm. each month that comes in and because it's not income that I need for anything, literally that income, I either give it away or invest it and- I basically just, yeah, put money over to the platform cash account. Yeah. So, you know, oh, I open my net banking one week. Oh, there's a couple of grand there. Oh, yeah. Send some money over to the trust and then I just, I don't have to do it because if I want to get involved in stuff, usually I get greedy and wreck it. So, I have to keep your mitts so off. Many, yeah, there's so many choices there and I find that mm. I get very... Uh, I can't stick to the strategy if, I've, if I'm given the choice because I'm like, oh, but what about this? And so, the automation I find helps what is probably totally. an ADHD brain that I'm like, mm, totally. don't give me the option because I will yep. definitely choose option B. Yeah. Yep. I've literally got three ETFs, I think, yeah. that I just pump. It's also just like such a- this is not financial advice, obviously, but from a purely- General financial advice. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But from a purely administrative perspective, it is so much nicer having less. Yeah, less is more. Less is more. Unless the, it comes to money, more is more. More is more, yeah. But just the administration <laughs> of, you know, hundreds of little dabbles here mm. and there, not to mention the teeny amount of dividends you get from smaller investments. It's nice, actually, to have like a finite number and then you just deal with that every financial year. How's this for a, a interesting thing? Mm. Like, I was so our investor podcast, right? Yeah. Nick is our host, and he just basically talks about investing like you do every day. Yeah. He was like, "Oh, this is how you like build a portfolio, and you get a um, you might get an ETF that's um, X S and P five hundred or X US, right? International yeah. X US." Yeah. I texted him the other day, and I'm like, "I'm calling BS on that." He's like, why? I'm like, 
freaking most of the companies in the S&P 500 are legit global companies. Yeah. So, shut up. <laughs> so, it's basically ex-domicile. Where are they, yeah. where are they domicile for tax purposes Pretty only? <laughs> yeah. Like, I've anyway. excluded Microsoft except for all the money they make and all of the money that they funnel into companies that I'm invested yeah. in, like semiconductors Absolutely. and distribution yeah. companies. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's yeah, a very I, good point. And it was like the same point, like- the fallen Hamish Douglas. <laughs> Can we say that? The fallen Hamish Douglas. Oh, poor Magellan. They literally, just as a side note, their fund was the worst performing, largest outflow. I was looking at the beta shares annual mm. report. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Magellan's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I used to own it. I sold it. Because of Douglas? Yeah. You were like, absolutely. Nah, the main, yeah, I'm, main I'm honcho is gone. I'm out. Yeah. But- not advice, but do what you want. His kind of thesis and approach was yeah. there's less risk, you know, if you want to expose it to China. What's that? The KFC company. Oh, what's the call? I forget. The the mothership uh, Yum Brands or something like that. Yeah. They're like, KFC is opening 20 restaurants a day in China. Just buy Yum in America and you yeah. get it China exposure. So, yeah. I've also got a weird philosophy about what I do with investing, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't necessarily invest, quote unquote, to get the highest return possible. Mm -hmm. What I've resolved in my life is if I'm giving some, saving some and spending some, Mm -hmm. the saving is for something that I don't need today, whether that is a holiday next year, Mm -hmm. that's saving, or I don't need this money today or in the next- three or four years, I'll commit it to long-term growth. Yeah. So, for me, when I invest, all I'm doing is parking money Mm -hmm. for the long-term in an asset that returns higher than cash and hopefully inflation long-term. So, you know, like you're not out to like maximum alpha. I'm okay with market returns. Yeah, Yeah. no. Yeah. Like because all I'm doing is parking money for the long-term. And according to copious amounts of research, that's a far more effective strategy. Mm. But I think that's also psychologically, that must take some of the chasing out of investing because you're no longer like, oh, what's the flashiest big, like what's the next Apple penny Mm. stock turned bajillion dollar company? Mm. I'm just quite happy to invest in ETFs and be really happy with a decent return. Yeah. And it's funny, like I'm prepping one of my episodes to record tomorrow. Mm. This is an interesting question. Someone said this, hey, what are stocks that I can buy Mm -hmm. if there's a recession or something like that? (laughs) Now, my vibe is if you look at an XY chart or whatever Mm. and we're investing today with a whole time of at least 10 years or 15 years, Mm -hmm. if a recession is for two or three years of that, it doesn't actually change what I'm doing because I'm not trading day on day. And that's kind of the thing. We had Peter Thornhill on a couple of months ago. He's a listed investment obsessive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He loves them. But they're also, it's a generational thing as well because ETFs didn't exist when he started investing, right? And then so the tax and trust stuff is, I don't know, to each their own, right? If that's mm. a matter to you, then that you care about dividend stability. But 
he made the really good point that a lot of people are not investing these days. They're trading. Yeah. Like people are quite happy to buy and sell stuff, but that is not in his view contained in the definition of investing. And I think your approach is because you're really just targeting a decent return long term. And I think the recession part as well is there's a concentration risk with single stocks that people are perhaps too hyper aware of in an ETF context. Because you're like VAS contains 200 of the top companies, then, you know, 50 mid caps, 50 small caps or whatever it is. And on the whole, you've got a huge mix there. Yes, there's slight concentration of financials and banks and blah, 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 blah. But you're probably going to be okay. You might see a dip, but on mm. the whole, you're probably going to make a loss if you're constantly moving your money around, not to mention all the tax you're going to pay. And the whole purpose of buying the index, if there is a period of two years that is a recession and yeah. confidence has fallen out of the floor and all that stuff, you will be buying some of those other traditional growth assets when they are on sale. So, if you're a net buyer or whatever, yeah. just keep buying. Just keep buying. Yeah. Which is, again, why I think getting rid of those small decisions you make when you're investing mm. is so powerful because otherwise you're constantly making these, oh, but what about now? The market is volatile or tech is correcting or mm. commodities are correcting or the currency rate's really high. All of that kind of falls away because there's always going to be something. There's always going to be some sort of noise happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you went uh, to before was like, do I just kind of do a, a weekly thing? Because my life is one big regret, I- oh, We need to dig like, into that in a separate yeah. episode called Therapy Investing. <laughs> like, I, there so many times like growing up or in my 20s and 30s where yeah. there was an opportunity and it's like I had no money to capitalize. So, I, I still always keep pretty cash heavy mm. for opportunities. Mm. So, I'll invest weekly yep. an amount. Just, there we go. And it might only be $1,000 a week, yep. right? Just on the side. And then I've got my little pot of money mm -hmm. that kind of could be growing or I could get a royalty check. Fund. Or, it's the regrets fund. So, if there's any opportunities like- Oh, Pleasant State. Oh, that, I like the idea of that. I like cleaning products, you know. What a cool story. Want to support? Yeah. Bam, I've got powder in the keg. Yeah. Or if there is a big market shats itself and it's clearly a time to reverse the truck up, I might put some more in. But on balance, I'm a weekly buyer. Yeah. But that's With a powder in my keg always. Yeah. And what would you say, looking back, what's mm. the opportunity that you missed that you regret the most? Probably GFC. <laughs> to shovel. Because <laughs> I was like 25, I think, yeah. and poor. Same. I was oh, no, like I would have been a bit younger. 13, I think. Oh, yeah. I feel that way about property too. I wish I was buying a house in Sydney in 2007. You didn't do that? I'm an idiot. I Are you poor? I, uh, yes. What? Yes. I'm a poor millennial, Glenn. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's It's like, how do you know you're at a dinner party with Sydney Ciders? Within 15 minutes, the topic of property will come up. 
It's like it's, it's like wild. vegans at a dinner party. It's like you you know immediately mm. they're from Sydney because there's a bitterness that comes with the topic. But yeah, it's crazy. I want to chat a little bit about speaking of opportunities. You're quite from memory. You were quite an early adopter of crypto, though. You invested quite yeah. early. Yeah, I I made some money. Yeah. What's the thoughts and feelings on it now? Oh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I think I before the last big tank. Yeah. I sold all my crypto. Did you? Um, oh wow. Yeah. Benefit of some sort of hindsight. Foresight. Well, it's just so I think in 2017 or something. Yeah. When the first kind of big thing. Yeah. I I was dicking around and you know made a heap of money and sold it all. Nice. I just I'm old enough now to know stuff ain't that good for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, you got to get while the getting's good. Don't get greedy and get out. Yeah. Um, but that's, well, there's so much wisdom in that and in knowing, right, mm, that everyone so, else is going to be greedy. Yeah. So, I, I don't think I hold any crypto anymore. I made my money and- Really? So, not necessarily an adopter or a bullet. You don't necessarily believe in the underlying tech then. Oh, I do, but I don't believe it's an- in- for me, it's never been an investment, mm. quote unquote. It's yeah. been a speculative thing. So, for me to invest money into something, mm-hmm. um, it has to produce an income. And if cryptocurrency is a currency, well, I don't invest in euros. I don't invest in USD. I don't hold euros. I don't invest in USD. Not so, a yeah, like, so it's, and you know, I, I, I found myself in some very interesting places in the last boom, like on some of these Ponzi schemes. And at one point, <laughs> it's so wild, like literally, quote unquote, making 500 US a day in some of these, um, I forget what they're even called. Um, they were, um, it's it was 18 months, two years ago, I forget. Um, were they farm the cryptos or the- Oh, my God. I, re- I think we were talking about this. One time yeah. we met, you had invested in the nodes or something? Yes, yes, nodes. That's yeah, it, yes. and I remember being like, the terminology was like, sway Yeah, and, my and that's what I mean. Like, I just, Crazy. it's another, it was a moment in time and, you know, I got pretty involved yeah. and a friend of mine in the States, we were just kind of exploring and um, literally printing money and then I'm like, all right, I'm getting the hell out of yeah. here. Um, like, I bought a node, um, gosh, maybe seven grand US for one node on this weird startup platform. And yeah, yeah, it was like literally printing money for a couple of months, made my money back and more. And I was like, all right, see ya. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I it's just a big distraction from, you know, what am I doing? Like the chances of being that person that buys the coin for Point one of a cent or something like that buys a million coins. Yeah, basically, a lottery. And the, yeah, it's a lottery. So yeah. I'm just like, this is a distraction. I've I've made money. Move on. Um, but I mean, it's not the foundation, right? Like you're predominantly you're investing in the please. stuff that your classic mm. financial advisor would tell you to put your money into, which is how you Pretty can much. afford to do all the the fun yeah. node stuff. Yeah, and that kind of node money and experimental. That was like that whole. I had money in my powder keg thing or whatever. Yeah. I, I might try this. Yeah. 
I realistically would say to anyone, like with all that really hyper speculative stuff, mm. I wouldn't do more than 2% of your portfolio, yeah. to be honest. Maybe five if you're really risque, 10, but. You've got to have high cash flow as well. I think that's mm. something that even 5% at 21 feels very different to me now with a very mm. stable income plus, you know, rental income and everything else. But on the whole, mm. because you have had a very diverse and interesting set of investments across the time, mm. what's the biggest contributor to your overall wealth? Probably property and my first business that mm. I sold. goes back to bricks and businesses because I, yes, you get good return out of buying equities but my financial planning business was doing 20, 30% a year mm. profit where I can't get that out of an ETF or equities. might be thematic for 10 minutes but long term. I think the podcast business, like we were fortunate enough to be on the AFR fast starters list last year. I mean, far out, it was like probably 40 or 50% profit. Yeah. Like crazy amount. So, mm. you can't actually- An unquantifiable impact on both yeah. as well. So, I think it is that bricks and businesses. And that's why for me, I go back to, I'm just parking money I don't need. Yeah in ETFs and equities for the long term. Mm. Mm. And I think we don't talk about that enough generally, but mm. the business return, I, we had uh, another guest recently and his most significant investment is angel investments in businesses he's consulted for mm. and like an exchange, like an exchange for services kind of gratuity type arrangement. And that's a gangbusters wealth return. Mm. But again, you, and that, that story makes a lot of sense to me as like moving from lower middle class to upper middle class. But I do find like the Instagram, quit your job, become an entrepreneur. It's like you're living paycheck to paycheck. There is mm. literally nothing for you to fall back on. It's very different totally. if you're like cushy, you have middle class family, you can move back into their home. That's a very different story than you are, you know, belts and braces trying to make it in this world. But then it also speaks to your own personal risk profile. True. Like I, when I sold my business, mm. for the first two years of my millennial money, I didn't have an income. I was living off savings and to be consuming your capital- for living mm. expenses, that's a mind F. That, yeah. like, so, but and that's why- You had what, to have those. You had to have that fund. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, like, there's a lot of other podcasters that have popped up and exploded and taken off and they probably have done it without, I don't know, just right place, right time. If yeah. something's going to work, it's going to work. That's true. That's true. I, I don't Against know. Against all but, odds. So, yeah. you've- done the whole traditional career, you've done the business, you've now accumulated a really still diverse set of assets, both in your own name, now the foray into commercial property, very exciting, by the way, to deck it out, like HQ, classic yep. millennial tech company vibes. What's your net worth today? 
Yeah, I firstly, I don't have an exact amount because I don't care. Yeah. And secondly, if I did calculate it, I probably wouldn't say publicly publicly because I just don't think it what does it matter? Like what's the overall return? Like gross average. Don't know. Don't know. And this is like I'm just not in the I'm not a detail like people are like, oh, you're financial advisor, you should be analytical and really good at maths and numbers. No, no. Most financial advisors are really good project managers <laughs> because that's what you're doing. You've got a client that comes in yeah. with a specific set of goals and circumstances yeah. um, and we need to manage that project mm. and I get smarter people to help me in the background yeah. to manage that project. Mm. So, for me, I'm not heaps in the weeds. Like, I earn good money, money's not a problem, I keep saving and building wealth. Yeah, and I don't ever want it to be a – you know, a mind's bigger than yours thing or mm. like, because I just don't care. Like, what does it matter? At the end of the day, what's real in life? You're doing this for different reasons. I think some people chase the dollar simply because mm. that's the goal. But like your foremost aim with wealth and money generally is giving. Yeah. And I've just recently updated my Instagram, like my personal Instagram t- tagline. <laughs> Captain Glenn. Yeah. No, I, I removed Cappy. It's Cappy. Thanks. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, you make a living by what you earn. Yeah. And you make a life by what you give. Oh. And I categorically know you'll never be worse off for being generous. Yeah. And if I see a need, whether it is a a young family that might need a a car or something like that, I can just act on that need. And there's such a, like a, a freedom in that yeah. as well. In like, being like a good citizen. Yeah, I know world. someone who's going through a really crazy health struggle at the moment that could be terminal. Mm. You know, they're not working. I've, se- I've seen a need yeah. and I've got their mobile number. I checked the other day and they've got pay ID. I'll be flicking them some money just as a, hey, this could help. And that's funny because with giving and generosity, like don't fall into the trap where you have to give to a deductible gift recipient to get a refund on tax. Like just be generous. And if you, and this is it, like build build generosity into your financial life. Mm. If you're at the stage where you've met all your needs and you can feed your family, your bills are up to date, you're on track, can you give $5 a month? And also, can you give your time? You know, especially if you're in those early parts of your career where Mm. you're trying to show up, you're trying to get promoted, you're trying to get to that stage where you can afford to buy a house in Sydney. (laughs) Mm. A lot of the time, the people in your life just want your time. Totally. That's totally what my mum wants, what my grandmother wants, you know. She doesn't need a really flashy brunch. I mean, I do that for her because I think it's nice. Mm. But a lot of the time they're just really happy for you to just come over on Sunday afternoon and spend time with them. That's like I had a f- the dream. I had a friend in hospital uh, recently and he was there for like oh, two or three weeks, right? And we've got a group message and there's like seven or eight of us. Yeah. And for so long- <laughs> I was the only one that could go and visit Maddie. <laughs> so, I would mess, every time I'd be there, I'd like send a selfie like, you assholes, I'm the only one of you who actually cares and visits him. Aww. 
So, maybe you might be strapped for cash, but if you do have the time, you can give your time away just to be with someone. Or lord it over your friends. Or lord it over your friends (laughs) because they're scumbags, basically. So, you have all these regrets. That's a whole topic for another episode, I think. But Mm. if you were starting again at zero, 20 years old, fresh Glenn, fresh head of hair, what would you do, my friend? Give your best elder millennial advice. Yeah, I would teach and subscribe to my sound financial house. Actually, here's one I prepared earlier. Uh-huh. It's um you've probably seen it in the book. I've I've reprinted it because I want to make some slight tweaks to it. Yeah. But like four foundations in your life. Mm-hmm. Number one, you're cashed up and you're debt free. No consumer debt ever. Emergency fund. Yep. Number two, you've got a spending plan or budget in place. Mm. Done. Number three, income insurance. Make sure if you can't work due to accident or illness, the money doesn't stop. Yep. Everything you do in your budget and your life is based on money walking through the door. Mm. Fourth foundation is your wills and estate planning, which is a once-off cost, not sexy, not boring, but it will help. It's cheaper than f- people think it is, just FYI. Yeah, pro- under $500, yeah. easy. Especially if you're just like single, you can literally, yep. there's like a bunch of yeah. online will. Yeah, just yep. go get a will. Yep. I know, to be honest, I think power of attorney is probably more important than mm, a will if you're younger. Especially but a health one. Yep. Well, I've got a friend at the moment who's on life support, like oh, with Glenn, none of these so documents. Sorry. Yeah, it's savage, like horrendous, yeah. the situation. And, you know, young and healthy and the flu and all that. Um, so, it's just these baseline four foundations yeah, and then build on top of that. But I think if you're listening to this and you're at uni, you're working part-time, you feel like you don't have any money, seriously, if you finish uni Mm. with no consumer debt, forget about Hex, that's fine for now, with no consumer debt and only $1 in the bank account, you're killing it. Just get through because the best investment you will ever, 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 ever make is in your career. And we didn't talk about this, but you will get more money out of your career than putting $50, $100 a week into an investment account. Mm. And we don't, you're right, we didn't talk about this today. Kate Howard mentioned this actually. She's like one of the least talked about and most profitable investments young people have is their earning potential and how much risk you can take on the back of the 40 or so years you have to get a job and predominantly to hopefully continue earning more money. 100%. Yeah. Actually, given Mm. you are an ex-financial advisor, I'm going to flip it. We always ask this question to people like, what would you do if you went back in time? But a lot of our listeners are not in their 20s. So if someone was in their, let's say, late 40s, 50s, felt like their finances were a bit out of control, would you give them the same advice? Yep. Yeah. Because- Do the same like, thing. <laughs> and this is why like when, so this the whole my millennial money thing, mm. you know, it all came about for me based on me being a financial advisor, people coming to me at all ages wanting financial advice and me saying, you don't need financial advice, you need a budget, you need to spend less mm-hmm. than you earn, you need to get your money in control. And when I was a financial advisor, I created the Glenn James Spending Plan, which is now online. It's free. And I'd said to them, I can help you 
you don't need financial advice. You need a budget and a spending system. You can pay me $3,000 and we'll sit down for a couple of sessions over the next three months. Yeah. Or you can pay $70, $80 online for my course. Both will get you happening. Mm. But you don't need financial advice. You need to control your income yeah. and expenses. The best way to get a pay rise is to have a really good spending plan. Mm. So, based on, I was sick of telling people at all ages, 65, no, you don't need financial advice. You need a budget. You need to spend less than you earn. See, the common thing about humanity is we're all the same. <laughs> we all have bad habits. And the problem is the habits that you've got in your 20s that are bad with spending with or uh, exercise, food, yeah. choose your thing. If you don't actively look at that habit and make some tweaks, you will wake up when you're 40, 50s and in your 60s and those things are still with you. Yeah. That's such a good point. So, the advice is the same, folks. Pick up Glenn's book and you can see the foundation. Do some of the exercises. I found it. I really liked it. I Some of them can be, some, you know, budgeting books can be a bit patronizing, but mm. It was very practical. It's a great beginner's guide to your whole money and investing journey. And we are an investing podcast here over over here at mm. Big Swinging Dogs. But well, chapter five and six will really help. Yeah, <laughs> but we also recognise that you need to do chapters one to four first. You know, you can't totally. invest with a credit card debt. We shouldn't be. But Glenn, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's always My a pleasure. pleasure chatting with you. And likewise. All the best with the new HQ. You'll have to invite us round. Rob and I love a tech, <laughs> tech <Yeah>. moment. <laughs> so, yeah. congrats on the Renault. Exciting times ahead. Thank and you. I'm sure we'll chat soon. Thanks so much for having me. I'll see you guys soon. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. Make sure you like and subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.